L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. And I'm Ben, and we are joined, as always, by our super producer, Noel, the Highwayman Brown, and high fives across the internet, if you got that reference. But today, Matt, we're also joined by uh, a special guest, a, uh, a good friend of the shows, and a good friend of uh, you and I both, outside of outside of this whole stuff they want you to know thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mr. Scott. Benjamin. Oh, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate uh, the offer to be here on your show today. Oh, yeah, we uh, we appreciate it even more. But let's not get in a contest about appreciation here, Scott, because I am thrilled to have you on our show. Now, long-time listeners, you may know that Scott and I work together on a different show called Car Stuff. And if you watch our Stuff They Don't Want You to Know videos, then there's a chance that you caught Scott on his first appearance uh, with Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, which was a video podcast. Yeah, a very general uh, episode about car conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Just all the car conspiracies. Feels yeah. like that was a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> I think it was, well, man. It was, yeah. Uh, do you remember what we were looking at? Like pavement conspiracies? Oh, and- I can't. Oh, it was uh, the water car, I believe. Uh, yeah, the yeah. water-powered car. Sure. 
uh, which you can check out for more, check out our audio and our video for more information on that. But today, Scott, we asked you over to uh, do the audio component of a video that we also recently made. Uh, a lot of folks might not know this, but uh, we're pretty big true crime fans, like all, all four of us, actually. So Noel, Matt, Scott, and myself. And we uh, we were looking into a listener suggestion that we've received from several people, including uh, Jimmy C. on Twitter, which was the Highway of Tears. And, Scott, when we started looking into this, we knew we had to get you on board, if at all possible. Oh, well, I felt like it was, uh, it was the right fit, too, because um, I have an interest in the case. Um, I have not read anything prior to when you mentioned it to me, but I've been digging into this deeply for, you know, for the last few weeks. The interstate system and police, uh, you know, functions and uh, just I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole case. I really am. And uh, I can't wait to even get even more information about this even after this podcast. So Right. Always yeah, we, we have we have listeners who will no doubt be writing into us and giving us even more little tidbits that we mm-hmm. will not cover in this episode. Oh, Especially sure. Canadian listeners. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. As the Mad Hatter said to Alice, I think it was the Mad Hatter. Uh, what is the Highway of Tears? Well, the Highway of Tears is a uh, about a 450-mile section of Highway 16 that runs between Prince George and Prince Rupert, and that's in British Columbia, uh, Canada, of course. That's like the, the northern part, I guess, of British Columbia. Right, uh, Yellowhead Highway 16. For everybody else outside of, what, Myanmar, Namibia, and the U.S., that's 724 kilometers. Oh, very good, then. That's Thanks. nice. And uh, this stretch of highway, it passes through a lot of uh, what are called First Nation communities along mm. this highway. So these are Aboriginal peoples who who live on the land there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, about a dozen small communities. And here's the thing. that You may get a picture of this in your head if you haven't heard of the Highway of Tears before. And that picture, if you if you close your eyes and, and you, you imagine this, uh, if you're seeing a place that is very rural, you are correct. There's not much in the way of public transit, right? There aren't any bus systems. There's not a train. And also, uh, historically, there has been a struggle with poverty in these communities, so a lot of people don't own cars. Yeah, very small towns, very sparse, very scattered, so long distances in between that are very desolate, especially at night. Uh, you know, these are dark uh, well, I, I guess densely, densely uh, wooded areas yeah. that are easy to uh, to lose yourself on. You know, you're able to uh, to go just off the highway, and there's, um, I think they said it's like four or five to one uh, the, the miles of road. So a mile of paved yes. road, there's like five unpaved miles of road right next to it. Um, right. There's there's logging communities everywhere. Um, it's just a, logging camps, I should say. Mm-hmm. But um, so of course logging roads go along with that, and a lot of those are just. Again, desolate, rugged roads that are way, way off the main stretch. So why are we here today to talk about this rural road in British Columbia? I mean, what's the deal? There are rural roads everywhere. Well, um, as you may have guessed already, there's been a series of disappearances and murders that have happened along this highway. Now, the number, when, when I tell you this number, it's not going to be the big number because there's, there's a much bigger number, mm-hmm. but... Police say that there have been 18 victims since 1969 on the Highway of Tears. Now, you might think that's not a whole lot, really, when you mm-hmm. consider that that is about four decades of time. But as we'll learn later, that's really about how they're measuring, right? Yeah, uh, correct. From from how close to the highway did these people disappear? Exactly. Yeah, there's some there's some strict parameters that they put in place, and and we'll tell you about the uh, the team that decided. 
uh, who is officially a victim of the highway of tears, and then all these other cases that are not officially highway of tears victims. And well, that's yeah. that's kind of the interesting, the, the meat of this whole story is that mm. it's much, much bigger than anybody really thinks. Right. And there are also allegations of cover-ups. Uh, there is stuff they don't want you to know in this case. Uh, there's uh, endemic, or maybe I should say systemic racism that's involved. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the first victim, a lady named Gloria Moody. At the young age of 26 in 1969, October 25th, she leaves a bar near Williams Lake. And her body, when it's discovered, is at a uh, in the woods near a cattle ranch, right? About... Um, 10 kilometers away. We should note at this time that this is, in retrospect, considered the first official Highway of Tears murder. However, at the time, it was not given, um, I, th- I think you, it's fair to say it was not given adequate investigation or attention mm-hmm. of law enforcement because of the systemic racism we've mentioned at the time, which, just to get a picture of this, uh, Matt, that's something that really intrigued you, right? Yes, uh, systemic racism against the Aboriginal people, uh, you know, in some ways by the Canadian government, because there are these things, these boarding schools called residential schools, that children anywhere from ages 7 to 15, I believe it was, would be sometimes taken away from their family uh, by force, sent to these residential schools where they would be, I think the quote, at least from this documentary that we watched called The Highway of Tears, where they would kill the Indian inside of them. So they would deprive them from the culture of their family, from the culture of their people, and you know they wouldn't allow, allow them to, to dress certain ways, and they kind of just devalued that part, right, to try and assimilate them into the community. And this is a school that operated for something like 150 years. Right. So you've got generations of, of students yes. going through this school, and I say students loosely. It's a, it's kids going through this that are being isolated from their family, being isolated from their culture, not really knowing who they are as they grow up. Right, and how how does this tie into the Highway of Tears? Well, because the the vast majority of victims... Uh, up until I think 2002 is the date that was cited. I know we're jumping a little ahead there, but yeah. most of them were Aboriginal women who were going missing. Sure, yeah, and the reason is that th- you find that a lot of these women are unable to afford vehicles, mm-hmm. and it comes back to public transportation and, and need the need to get between those remote villages or those remote towns that we talked about on this highway because that's the connecting point. Mm-hmm. And it's too far to walk in a reasonable distance. You don't have a car, so you have one solution, right, guys? Well, well, two solutions. There's Listen. one that's not so great. Greyhound bus operates a line on Highway 16, but it's infrequent and it doesn't run as often as they would like. And they you like have to it. be near a hub, right? Yeah, they would like shuttles or something like mm-hmm. that, but uh, that's not right. the case. So, so Ben, the other option is the one you're talking about, right? which is what? Hitchhiking. And uh, we actually did on Car Stuff, a um, we call them uh, mystery shows. Uh, we, we did one recently on hitchhiking that led to some unexpectedly uh, moral or profound discussions of morality. It was a, it was a bit of wow. an uncomfortable podcast to do, really. really. Yeah. Was it? yeah, it sort of was because of, uh, you know, the moral issues. I mean, you want to say I'll help anybody that's in need and, you know, no problem, but you've got that little bit of fear 
that, that right. still lives within you. That you know, I you've been told all your life, don't pick up hitchhikers, don't pick up that guy on the side of the road on the rainy night, you know, as you're driving past him. Sure. But you, but then again, you just saw a car that was broken down half a mile behind, and you know that guy's probably coming from there. But Should it's still a gamble. Yeah. I mean, unless you've got some kind of segregated car, like a police sure. cruiser or something, where they can't access your oh, cabin. Sure. But but you know, we're yeah. we're on the other side of this, though. We're talking about right. you know the the, the ones in yes. danger are the ones that are the walkers, the ones that are yes. trying to get from town to town, trying mm-hmm. to see friends, trying to get to uh, college campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, these victims will be portrayed as uh, as high risk victims. They'll say that you know, the, the, of course, the the hitchhiking is high risk, but they will also say that I uh, kind of lump in with that that you know some of these are maybe runaway teens, some of sure. them are. Uh, they might use the word prostitutes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's not the case with every one of these. Clearly, um, but th- I'm not to say I'm not saying that might not be the case with some of them. Um, there's also, you know, the possibility that it's uh, just people that have been somehow socially marginalized, people that right. are um, homeless. And I know in those communities, it's probably very rare to actually have a homeless person, but. It's it's a possibility as yeah. well, and that happens here in the United States too. Mm-hmm. We're going to tie all this together later. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. We are because okay. So first murder, nineteen sixty nine. Uh, murders are continuing, or excuse me, disappearances. I guess if we want to split some hairs about it, and these are not getting any national attention. They're not getting any real regional attention. So. How many decades? 1969, 79, 89, 99. It is not until 2002 when a young lady named Nicole Hoare, H-O-A-R, goes missing. This is in 2002. She is white. She is not a First Nations uh, member. So this was the first Highway of Tears cases to be covered in the the papers of the time, like Edmonton Journal, Vancouver Sun, Globe and Mail. And uh, then the police really started investigating these as not just quote-unquote, isolated incidents. Okay, and she's not the very first white victim, however. That's there, true, There have yeah. been others that were Caucasian that, uh, that that had fallen victim to this, but this one did get a, a tremendous amount of media coverage, and there was uh, some raised eyebrows about that. Yeah, wait, you're right, you're right, um, because... It, Thank you for clarifying, too. She was the first person to get national attention for the story. She was not the first non-First Nations person. Yeah, and, and also, okay, another little caveat here that we have to add is that um, I think they said the majority of the women on the list are aboriginal. So, uh, you know, greater than 50%. I, I haven't really gone through the numbers here and figured out what percentage sure. of these crime or these uh, cases, rather. But, um, yeah, the majority are aboriginal women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, additionally... We always have to think about it in these terms. Uh, these are just the people we know about. There could easily be more people that have disappeared, uh, not just on Highway 16, but uh, on Highways 19, 97, and 5. Um, one, one of the things we did in our recent videos, we talked about uh, – five things you should know about the Highway of Tears. And that was number one on our list. We don't know how many people have been killed. We don't, we're going to get to suspects and leads and why the three of us, well, four of us, including Noel, believe that there's more than one killer here. Uh, but no, no one really knows. We are, we are outnumbered by questions in this case. Um, 
just just briefly while we're talking about the amount of people, let's talk about this. Um, let's talk about why the native communities and the authorities, uh, the RCMP, have a different body count. I'll say that RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, right? yes, the Mounties. and uh, they have a different body count because. Uh, that they, they have identified, well, I, okay, this goes back to the EPANA force, so I guess we have to talk about EPANA at we this do. point. Yeah, okay, yeah, so, yeah. um, EPANA is a task force that was formed in 2006, and it was, uh, used or, or, um, rather implemented to determine if there was a serial killer, and they only knew about, you know, they were thinking maybe one at this point, mm-hmm. if a serial killer was in fact working the highway, was, uh, was using this as his hunting ground. And they probably at the time were suspecting that, you know, there's more than one, but couldn't really say anything. They didn't have a number, a set number of cases in in mind either. They knew that lots of women were disappearing mm-hmm. from this highway area. They didn't. They they couldn't uh, put a, a, an exact number on it yet until they gave it uh, sort of a set of parameters, uh, something that could kind of narrow down the focus of EPANA. Mm-hmm. And so these three key points were, and I think we mentioned these in the video too, but um, female victims only. Right. And then the next, uh, the next. Um, Characteristic, I guess, would be that it, they were involved in a high-risk activity, as we just talked mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. hitchhiking or prostitution or whatever it happens to be. And then there's also, Matt, as you said, the one-mile rule. And yes. the one-mile rule is um, what really angers a lot of people in mm-hmm. these communities because mm-hmm. the EPANA task force gets all all the uh, the media focus. It gets the attention. It's uh, you know when it, when it launched, it had a five million dollar budget. It had seventy officers attached to it. It was like they're finally. Doing something, they're they're gonna they're gonna really work this case. They're gonna find out what's happening to, um, as the 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 locals thought, you know, forty or fifty cases or something like that, you know, in the area because there's there's women missing all the time from this right. area. Right. Well, what Epana did with this uh, this you know these three characteristics or these three points these these three criteria that people had to meet or that these cases had to meet. It, it narrowed it down so finely that it only allowed for the 18 cases that we're talking about today uh, mm-hmm. to be counted as official Highway of Tears disappearances. And that really caused a lot of friction in the communities because they said, well, okay, that's 18, and they're important, but what about the other 40 that you're not talking about? Well, yeah, because right. as we said, this main highway goes there, but then you've got dirt roads that that go off of this road in all directions – for a long, long way, then they meet roads that are also parallel and perpendicular. Sure. That's why we mentioned the logging camps, because right? it's so easy to get more than a mile off the road. Well, I mean, it's difficult, but it's more easy. Yes. More easy to car. do that. Well, yeah, it's easy to do that. And then, and then to imagine if you're trying to lose a body, you know, dump a body somewhere, you're going to want to do that somewhere off of the main highway, typically. Mm-hmm. So the ones that were found on the highway or disappeared from the highway, um, that's a, that's a rare situation. Right. I mean, a relatively rare situation because, I mean, 18 out of, you know, what locals claim to be 50 or so. Right. Yeah. And, again, only the ones that people know about. In this documentary that we watched, uh, that we checked out together, uh, there's there's several... um, There's several just horrifying moments where you'll see someone in one of the communities along Highway 16 say... You know, my sister disappeared or was mm-hmm. murdered and her body wasn't found in the right place or the authorities just didn't treat it as related. And that has to be so maddening. Oh, right. Yeah. And I, I, I understand that, you know, uh, 
a category for someone posthumously is not going to change the fact that they are dead, but it does affect this investigation because, ladies and gentlemen, even now, okay, this string of murders that starts in 1969, I think maybe beforehand too, uh, Whatever this is, uh, something about Highway 16 has become kind of like a lake in a savanna where predators flock. And, uh, the, so, so from 1969 or whenever it actually begins all the way to the present day, of these 18 cases, how many are solved? Just one. Only one of those cases is solved. And we'll tell you, we can talk about the, you know, the one that they did solve too, but there's a few more numbers I think that will shock, right. shock the listeners. If, okay. um, five of those 18 cases are still officially listed as missing cases. There's Ooh. no body that has been found yet. So, uh, you know, even though they're one of the official 18 EPANA cases, uh, again, five, five of them are still, uh, considered as missing. Um, and, that, and those missing dates go back to 1983. So anyone between 1969 that went missing and 1983 had been found. Mm-hmm. The missing ones begin around uh, 1983 up till about 2005. Um, boy, there's so, there's a lot. I mean, you know, just the the amount of information that this case, or these cases rather, has generated is mm-hmm. is enormous. I mean, it fills a warehouse uh, for the um, for the RCMP. They they have something like 750 boxes of evidence just for those 18 cases that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So they really are digging into this and getting a lot of leads, a lot of information, a lot of interviews. Um, you know, gathering evidence, whatever they can. Um, it's not that they're not trying. It's just that uh, it, it's such a difficult thing to do because. I mean, again, we said it's 450 miles of, of territory. Right. Um, it is, uh, you know, just this densely wooded forest area. I mean, on either side of the road, it's uh, it's it's desolate areas. It's dark. It's uh, it's damp. It's it's you know, of course, it snows. Um, there's there's a lot going against them in this case. There's deep lakes that are just off the road. Um, it's just the the terrain doesn't lend itself to finding someone easily when they do go missing, right. and uh, and. I know I'm probably just going a bunch of different directions here, but there's so much about this case that just doesn't just doesn't feel right. I think I see what you're saying, Scott. But but what what exactly would you say doesn't what's what's well, giving you the the spider sense? Yeah, I guess it's just the, the okay. I know it's being handled. I know that they're they are looking into this, and they have they have a vested interest in making this work. Of course, they they want sure. their their EPANA task force to uh, to mm-hmm. be successful. They want to do this for the community, for the people. But the people are saying. You know, the locals, as you'll see in that documentary or, or whatever you read, because I've read a bunch about this case in the last few weeks, you'll find that there's a, a great distrust of the police force in that area. And I don't, I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is, uh-huh. but it goes back to the way that they're treated at these residential schools, the right, way that they sure. feel that they're, they're stuck in these, in these impoverished regions, you know, these, 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 these communities, these, um, it's almost like, um, like Indian reservations here in the United States. It's almost like it's an island upon itself. Each, each little community is like that. Now, yeah. And, uh, additionally, now this is a very touchy subject, but because we don't know how many killers are working in this area or how, how many killers use it as a hunting ground, uh, it's also possible that someone in authority could have committed or been involved with the commit, the commitment of some of these murders and disappearances. And when I say that at this point, folks, I say that purely on the hypothetical, um, on the hypothetical side of the, of the question or the concept. I don't have 
and I, and I don't think any of us have found any proof that there's anything other than, you know, a history of negligence at worst on, on law enforcement side in the, in the past few decades. There's never been somebody caught um, as a member of uh, the mounted police or anything. So it, the true crime or the, the crime novelist in me just sees that as a possibility. But there's whether or not that that's a possibility. It just it needs to be said. Well, this goes right back to I mean the Jack the Ripper days when they suspected that it could have been anyone from a surgeon to royalty yeah. to an artist to a police officer. Of course, they're going to suspect the authorities in this right. as well because they have the in, inner knowledge, the uh, sorry, the inside knowledge mm-hmm. um, of you know where the patrols are going to be at what time, and mm-hmm. um, they kind of have like a. a I hate to say it, like a backstage pass to what's going on behind the scenes and seeing all that and knowing, all right, well, here's my way around that. I can I can yeah. outsmart you. It's simple. Right, like the Long Island serial killer is suspected to have uh, some sort of knowledge of crime scene investigations. Just to jump in really fast, guys, with an example of how perhaps the authority in this area views women of, I mean, okay, this is in no way a blanket statement, but there is this is an example of the way the Aboriginal women are treated. So this guy named Judge David William Ramsey, he is a judge. So he was sexually exploiting young women in this community for years. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more 
while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In May of 2003, he pled guilty to five of ten charges. He was convicted of one count of breach of trust, one count of sexual assault, causing bodily harm, and three counts of buying sex from a child. That is a bad dude, and he's sitting on the... Uh, a bench, um, yeah, he, yeah. Is, he is the guy, the authority, and he was dealing with women who were of that age. The yeah. way he got caught was a he was going to see a woman about... A young woman about a, a custody case with her child, and she recognized that this is the guy who was trying to force himself upon her in a car and then beat her, and she she recognized him and ran out of the court. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that uh, I'm, implic- I'm not trying to implicate this man, Judge Ramsey, in these cases of disappearance. I'm just making a point about how these women were maybe seen by some people. In the authority, yeah, good point. And uh, you know, there's a few bad apples there, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in the uh, in the local law enforcement. You can certainly, yeah, area. that's where you hope. Right? Yeah, yeah, just a few. Just mm-hmm. a few. <laughs> I hope we get rid of them quick. Um, all right, so there's there's stuff like that going on. There's a there's a lot happening all around this case. That I mean, all these little bits and pieces that we're telling you about, they all tie in together uh, with with you know the original 18 cases and and plus the others that we you know haven't really discussed or we can't really discuss because we don't know the details. Those of Unfortunately, kind of been lost to time almost, really. Yeah. I mean, if they're not on the official e-panel list, they're not getting the attention that these cases are, which, I'll be honest, I mean, it doesn't look like they're, even these are getting a lot because there have been budget cuts at the uh, e-panel office. I mean, I think I said that they had a $5 million budget uh, back in 2006 when they first were formed, or, or late 2005, I believe. Mm. Uh, that has been cut uh, in the 2012 to 2013 year, it was cut down to something like 1.8 million. So a significant wow. cut in, uh, in their funding. And they went down from 70 officers working these cases. They went down to 12 officers working these cases with, uh, with support staff. Um, so a much, much smaller task force with the same amount of cases, really, because, you know, we said that there was one arrest made in mm-hmm. this whole thing. So that leaves us with 17 cases unsolved. Uh, we know of a few people that were uh, were involved in this. Now, the one the one arrest, I guess, maybe we should talk about him. Yeah, because um, these are these could be serial, right? So this one arrest could be, you know, at least tied to the other ones. Well, yeah, it could be tied to the other ones. Now, they do know that he is tied to two murders. This uh, this person I'm going to talk about. Now, the arrest that was made is a guy named Gary Taylor Handlin, and he was age 67, or he is age age 67. He was arrested for the murder of Monica Jack, who was um, only 12 years old. That's horrific. Mm. Uh, back in 1978, and another girl who is not a, uh, a an official victim of the Highway 16 oh, murder, wow. but he was also convicted of um, the murder of a girl named Catherine Mary Herbert. And again, not an official Highway of Tears case. But that doesn't mean anything. And see, that, that shows you that somebody that can be involved in a murder that happens on that, you know, they can be related, I guess. Yeah, um, right. You know, they could, they could commit one murder that is an official one and one that's not or ten others that are not. I mean, that, that's just the way this is going. So, um, how, so how was he, you know, f- 
you know, finally arrested. I think there was new DNA analysis that was finally available because in 1978 it just wasn't there. Right. So this is all the way in 2014. 2014. Yeah, and that's so 2014. That's not long ago. And Epano has been around since 2006. Now that's not the very first break in the case, however. Right. There was one other break that came earlier on, and this is maybe a a bigger lead. Now, bigger. I mean, of course, we you know solved one or two murders here. Fantastic. That's great. Great work. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the only officially officially solved case on the whole list of 18. But. There's another uh, guy that gets involved here in 2012, and uh, again, this is the first break, so it's like six years after the, uh, the task force was assigned. Um, they finally matched DNA from an American serial killer. His name is Bobby Jack Fowler. Mm-hmm. Um, they found DNA on the, on the body of Colleen McMillan, who was murdered in 1974. So they hung on to wow. DNA evidence from 1974. I mean, they didn't know they were hanging on to DNA evidence. Sure. They had they had evidence. They didn't know what they could do with it. But um, in 2012, they were finally able to match it up using, um, you know, the uh, I guess the uh, the systems where they they can input, right. you know the information that automatically matches you know ties DNA up DNA database exactly right. We can talk about those two because I think it may be the VICAP system that we're talking about for for the match here. I think you're right. I, I think that's the one. Um, and that's not the only murder he's suspected in. No, no. There's uh, there's others that he. <laughs> we talked about this too. The off air Ben. This is a. It gets a little bit complicated because. Um, um, this Bobby Jack Fowler guy, he's a, he's a bad dude, yeah, really bad dude. He is, uh, okay, um, at the time when that break came, he had been dead for six years. So we said that, you know, you're thinking, well, why haven't these cases also been solved? You know, so we're we're chipping away at the uh, the, the caseload here. Right. They're not officially solved because no one was ever tried for the murder. It's it's like it was uh, it was an unsolved murder. They can they can put it to rest and say we know who did this one, this one, and this one. Mm-hmm. But you never try that person and find them guilty, officially yeah, guilty. Yeah, especially for, it. for the families of these people, there's there's never that feeling of oh, we got somebody. Yeah, exactly, and that that's well amplified by a hundred times for right. the ones that never find right. never find their family member. Those that's got to be the most uh, well, the worst, the most mm-hmm. uh, heart wrenching part of this whole thing. And you know that documentary that I watched, I gotta say I was tearing up a little bit when they were talking about you know some of the families that. They don't have an answer. They never have an answer, and it, it's never probably going to come. They're not going to find them. Um, so I know it's a dismal way to look at it, but it's not very likely at this point. Um, so this Bobby Jack Fowler guy, can we right. talk about him just for yeah, a few minutes? Is that he right? was a, a traveling, worked mainly in construction, known for uh, known throughout the land for being an absolute horrible. Person. Yeah, I mean, the way to describe him is he's a he's an American rapist and serial killer. Right. Well, alleged serial killer because he didn't really Ooh. do time for the serial killing. Yeah, he traveled uh, all across North America, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, British Columbia. Uh, he was charged with murdering a couple in 1969. Yeah, and. Got off on just a firearms offense charge. Right. So they, he what? He, yeah, he murdered yeah. two people in 1969 in Texas, I believe, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, man and a woman in Texas. But he was uh, he simply was let go after they gave him a, uh, a slap on the wrist, basically for a firearms offense. And I don't know why that would happen. Is but this a did. wealthy guy? No, 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 no. This is a transient construction worker who yeah. who traveled all over North America. As Ben said, he was, uh, and we have to say, alleged serial killer because he again never was tried for that specifically. But we do know that he was a murderer, right? And again, 
This guy, I mean, the, the, we could go on and on and on, and I'll tell you a few more things. He's got an extremely violent past, as, yeah. you, as you said. Um, he was known as an alcoholic. He was an amphetamine user, a methamphetamine user. He had a long criminal record, extensive criminal record. He liked to drive around, not that this is anything bad, but he'd like to drive around and beat up old cars. I like that, too. Trolling for hitchhikers. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. He's trolling yeah. for hitchhikers. He's putting lots of miles on those old cars. You know, he's going back and forth between these towns and all these communities. So he sees it... Um, in a way, I guess, almost like a sport. You know, he's he's going mm-hmm. to town. I hate to say it that way, but that's the way these guys are. They're hunting, right. and and he's going from town to town, and he can he can get away with that because of the lifestyle that he's lived his entire life. Going into bars and motels, things start to fall apart for Fowler in the mid nineteen nineties. In nineteen ninety five, he's arrested uh, in Newport, Oregon, because a woman that he was trying to tie up, rape, and kill. Uh, jumps out of the motel window. Uh, there's a rope that's tied to her ankle. She survives. She gets, thankfully, gets to the police, and in and that leads to a 1996 conviction of kidnapping, attempted rape, sexual abuse, coercion, assault. And menacing, which I did not know you could get arrested for. Menacing, sure. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a menacing character. Mm-hmm. So all this is happening, right? He's got all this in his background, his past, and of course they find, you know, they find him in a very unusual situation with this, uh, this woman who's jumped out of a second story window. Um, clearly something devious is going on there at that point. Right. She's, she's scared. Um, they get a, uh, a DNA sample from him at this point because you know now he's captured. He's uh, he's in he's in the system, I guess. Yeah. So he's he's captured, and he was in there. When did you say Ben? Was it June of nineteen ninety five? I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's in prison of June of nineteen ninety five, and there are more murders that happen on the Highway of Tears after June of nineteen ninety five when he is in prison already. Right now, they do match. His DNA with, uh, with, we said it was Colleen McMillan, I believe it yes. was. Yeah, they match that from the 1974 victim. So he could have been active on that highway from 1974 all the way through 1995 when he was picked up in June of 95. Now he was in Oregon when he got picked up, so he right. wasn't, he wasn't in that area, but that's, it's close enough, really. I mean, take a look at a map. It's not that far away. It's not that right. hard to, to extrapolate that he could have been there as late as 1995. Now, I think they've only tied him to uh, maybe a couple of these. Right. Numbers. Now, Two there's, others. Yeah, there's the one, the Colleen McMillan. Mm-hmm. That's, that's done solved. Deal. That's that the one it. solved case. Well, that's... Uh, no, that's not the one. Well, that's the one that's attributed to him officially. Right. Okay. But he, but it's not officially solved because he never was tried for it. Oh, not I like, see. Yeah. Not like Gary Taylor. Right. Um, so, or Hamlin, rather. Um, the ones that that uh, Bobby Jack Fowler is considered a prime suspect in, that's a, that's another thing. So, of course, we know he's guilty of the Colleen McMillan. We, we mm-hmm. got that in 1974. But back in 1973, there were a pair of murders, one in October, one in November. And the October murder was uh, Gail Ways. And the November murder was Pamela Darlington. And uh, they both, you know, same thing. Right off the highway, both disappeared. I don't know if they were hitchhiking. Yeah, I think one was hitchhiking. Uh, both were actually hitchhiking, trying to get to a local bar, I think it mm-hmm. was. And, um, again, he's a strong, strong suspect in those. And many say, and I've heard this, there's a, there's a number here. Many say he's tied in with uh, three other victims. You know, there could be others that are, you know, sort of, they're, they're tentative about saying mm-hmm. that he's involved. Then others say, no, it's more like 10. There's more like 10 in this region. Right. And this gets you, gives you a glimpse of just how bad this guy is because they think that in the United States, in the United States alone, he may have as many as 20 victims, mm-hmm. but they never caught him for any of them. So this guy got away with it. And 
He lived in jail for what another ten years, I think, and then he died. Right. Died of lung cancer when in he was two thousand six, sixty six. So you know, even though there's this glimmer of hope that you know we know what happened, we we can piece it together. We know that you know in ni- the early nineteen seventies and um, possibly as late as the nineteen nineties, he was active on this highway and involved with with what's going on. We kind of know what's going on. It gives families just a, a little bit of closure, but not what they need for sure. And. That's only one of the killers on the Highway of Tears that we know about. We're going to look at some more of the killers, uh, the ones who have been caught in other circumstances, right? Uh, the ones who are suspected. I mean, this is like true detective style monster, right? This oh. is the kind of guy that you imagine when you imagine a horrible human being. I'm glad you put it that way because that's a that's a good visualiza- visualization of this guy. Right. Take a look at his mugshot. If you get a chance, just just do a Google search for Bobby Jack Fowler and you will not be upset by what you see there. It's going to be exactly what you think he looks like. I mean, okay. it's, it's, it's awful. Oh, um, uh, before we go too deep into the killer stuff, you guys, yeah. I do have one interesting, maybe a little bit Less grisly trivia fact. Yes, uh, please. We were talking. Um, we, were, we were talking off air before when we were making the video about what EPANA stands for. Right? Ah, yes. It's a task force. The 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 task force investigating the Highway of Tears. Uh, EPANA actually comes from the name of a god in Inuit mythology, which is Pana, uh, and Pana is a god who cares for souls in the underworld. Oh, cool! All right, very nice. Before they are reincarnated. Very nice. So there's, so, a, there's a deep meaning behind the, right. the, this task force. Because I had just kind of assumed that it would be an unnecessarily long acronym. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's but exactly may, what I thought. Maybe it's more the U.S. government that does that stuff. <laughs> that, well, car companies, we know that, Ben. Oh, and car companies, yeah, car too, companies yeah. love to make up acronyms. For <clears throat> so with that brief, with that brief uh, reflective moment, I guess it's time to dive back into some of the other murderers. Yeah, you know, and we just kind of wrapped up with Bobby Jack Fowler and how he, he couldn't have been involved with, you know, this... I guess a specific set of murders that happened after he was in prison, mm-hmm. and uh, they are careful about laying that out in the in the cases here. You, when, when you read about the the eighteen that are involved, you know the ones that are the official cases, they make a special point to say that Fowler was apprehended for crimes in the USA in June of this year, and therefore couldn't have been involved with this murder from this point on. Right. So right. what they're what they're saying is, everyone up prior to this one, yeah, you know, Maybe. you never know. I mean, they're they're saying strong suspect in. Three, well, two of the, uh, you know, there's one that they knew he was involved right. in. Right. Strong suspect in the other two, but then others say, eh, we're, we're kind of looking at him for more than just those two. Well, one of the issues would be then tracing the timeline of that killer's travels. Yes. Which is going to be difficult given the time period there. Well, difficult given his character as well, because right. he's, again, he's... On the fringes of society. Basically untraceable. I mean, really. As right. close to it as you can get. So... We have a couple other killers named. We mentioned Gary Taylor Hanlon. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we have uh, some other people on the docket as well. Cody Legibakov. Cody Legibakov. If you are Canadian, then odds are you have heard of this killer. Uh, Cody Legibakov, um, operating in British Columbia, Born in 1990, this guy. He's a young guy. And uh, I want to point this out. None of these were officially Highway of Tears murders, but it shows you that he's operating in the same area. Right, near Prince George. Yeah, four victims, 
And again, he's really close, but he's not officially involved in this whole thing. So, so this is the third one that we're talking about here. And then we've got that whole other set of victims that, um, you know, the four that happened after, um, Fowler was arrested. So that means that there's at least one more operating. So, right. so I, I didn't mean to derail you no, here right. on, on Cody, but, um, what, what have you got about Cody? Cause, um, he's, uh, also bag at four, four murders and he's right. like, like 21 or something. Yeah. Jeez. And, uh, he was convicted on four counts of first degree murder, uh, almost a year ago today, September 11th, 2014. He maintains his innocence and said that he was involved with the murders. But uh, that a drug dealer and two of the drug dealer's friends were the actual murderers. Oh. And these kind of fanciful tales are often spun in courtrooms it, by the disturbed. Is this the guy that they they actually uh, they saw him pulling off of a logging road in his right, truck? Right. The officer pulled him over, asked him about I, I don't know if it was like an equipment violation or something. Ooh. Something was wrong. He knew he shouldn't have been there. So he talked to him. Uh, realized that he had uh, blood, blood stains on his on his pants and on his shoes, I think, and shirt and everything. So the officer goes back down the road that he had just, you know, come off of the one that the truck had just exited from, and he finds the remains of a woman who had just been dumped. I mean, ju- like, wow. it, and had been murdered within hours of when uh, when he found her. So he he caught him red-handed leaving the crime scene, mm-hmm. and he is saying, "I'm not involved in this. It's somebody else." His you know? yeah, his. Uh original statement regarding the blood on his pants when asked by the police was that he was poaching and he had clubbed a deer to death because, quote, I'm a redneck, that's what we do mm-hmm. for fun. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it doesn't get much more clear than this, that, you know, he, of course, this is this is him. He's got he's caught red-handed. He's got, you know, the, uh, he's got all the evidence on him, right. around him. The, right. the truck is, of course, seized, and, you know, that's loaded with DNA evidence. Um, it, it's, it's definitely him in this case. Now, there are four women, and I think uh, the oldest one was, like, 35 years old, which is a bit out of the ordinary for this, uh, for, for, for a highway of tears. Yeah, because at this point, the um, the ages range from twelve to thirty three. So the uh, this would have been the oldest person on the list had they been included in the official highway of tears list. But they're not. These four. Right. These four are a separate issue. And this this goes to something else. I want to make a note here about the allegations of cover up because I uh, I neglected to mention this earlier. There has been an actual cover-up in that uh, the Ministry of Transport deleted emails regarding regarding the case. Uh, that report comes from, uh, from an employee there, uh, Tim Duncan. And Tim Duncan said that an aide deleted the, um, or an assistant, excuse me, deleted the emails. So when you hear people talk about a cover-up, that's what they're talking about. Uh, it's alleged to be about a uh, dozen emails about meetings with 80 First Nation leaders along the Highway of Tears. And uh, one of the community leaders about this, and one of the community leaders, Carrier Sakani Tribal Counselor Mavis Erickson, she says this is part of a continual uh, cover-up, that the emails are kind of a tip of an iceberg thing because she did not hear about the meetings at all in any shape or form. And she says, I'm going to read this quote. 
there's a cover-up going on, and I think this just shows more of that fear that we have, that things are going on and the government wants this whole story to go away. It's been going on for years, and so the destruction of these alleged emails is just more of the same. You know, Ben, who, what was the official's name again, the uh, the one that supposedly deleted the emails? Uh, Tim Duncan is the one who reported it. He was an executive assistant. He said he was told to delete emails requested under the uh, Freedom of Information Act. Okay, now, isn't there something a little bit uh, janky about this as well, where he handed the keyboard over to somebody else to actually officially delete the emails? Right, so that and that could, person's uh, unidentified. With, with clear conscience, say, I never deleted those emails. Wow. Right. Well, Although it was under direct, you know, direct uh, um, uh, request of. Right. And but, it, you can't say, but you can say... And pass a test that says, you know, I, I didn't officially delete those emails. And if any, um, I don't know, that letter versus the spirit of the law kind of stuff is pretty sticky. Yeah. yeah. But but while we're while we're mentioning that that note, um, we should also say that we're not sure why this cover up has occurred. We're not sure why those emails are deleted, other than. Um, you know, often in politics, it's not some grand overarching. Um, plot so much as it is a bunch of people trying to look better for promotions. Well, sure, and you know this this ties back into um, I'll call it conspiracy, but it, it's not. I don't know if it's really a conspiracy or not. People believe it is that they're just not paying as much attention to these cases because of the people that are involved in it. They're saying because it's Aboriginal women, because it's First Nation women, uh, it's not it's not as important as if uh, you know uh, the Canadian citizen, the uh, Caucasian Canadian citizens, not the First Nation people, uh, were being murdered at the same rate if if that was happening uh there would you you bet there would be extra law enforcement here to take care of this matter they would be here uh you know in spades trying to make sure that they they got this taken care of and wrapped up quick i I can imagine if if the murders were taking place on a highway between let's say vancouver and uh somewhere else and the demographics were very different of these victims yeah i can see how it would be a seen as a bigger problem given a lot more attention Mm -hmm. and so Maybe this is what makes the area attractive to predators. But the fifth and final point that we mentioned in our podcast or in our video uh, earlier is this. And this is what I want to explore toward the end of our show today. It's not just Highway 16. It's not just Highway 5 or Highway 97 or any other Canadian highway because it's not just Canada. Uh, we dug up some stats about the FBI's search for serial killers on the U.S. interstates, didn't we? Yes, you? we did. And you know what? I, I found this fascinating when I dug this up because I, I I love things like this where the, where it's not known to the public for quite some mm-hmm. time and then they reveal it, right? I'm sure your audience yes, loves that as we, well. We do. So back in 2004, there was a privately launched initiative by the FBI here in the United States, and this was called uh, the Highway Serial Killings Initiative. And the idea was to create a sort of repository for information about um, serial murders that were happening not not just on one highway, but really nationwide here in the United States. Now, right. if you haven't heard about this, I mean, this is something that really should be a, a huge eye-opener for every listener. Yeah. That this happens along 
every highway in the United States. I mean, mm-hmm. you take a look at the map of, of the victims that they talk. So we're not limiting this to just one highway, one, you know, one mile either way on either side of the highway. Right. We're talking about, you know, people that were last seen on or were dumped on the U.S. interstate system. And you can do the same thing for Canada. You can do the same thing for Germany. You can do the same thing in Africa. You can do the same thing anywhere, yeah. wherever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. This, this happens worldwide. But the numbers here in the United States, I mean, the numbers are something like, uh, they've identified like 600 victims and 275 suspects, you know, fairly quickly. Um, right. That was, that was in the first five years of this initiative happening, you know, like with the first five years of operation. And that is when they finally went public. They announced in 2009 that they had this initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, you know, here's what we found. It's terrifying, but you need to know about this. Right. They, we're, uh, we're tracing some leads. Yeah. They found this first. The, the initial inspiration for this uh, came when uh, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation and the Grapevine, Texas Police Department started working together as they recognized a pattern of prostitutes that were found murdered along the I-40 corridor in the South and the Midwest. So they started saying, let's profile. Yeah. Who could this be? And the answer was clearly a long-haul trucker. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a... there's. Several that they've already caught. They've arrested a few. They made a few arrests. And this is what's interesting is they found a couple of truckers working together, I guess, right. as, a, as a serial killer team on the highways, mm-hmm. which is terrifying. But um, one that stands out, I guess, would be Robert Ben Rhodes. And Robert Ben Rhodes is, uh, again, another character uh, along the lines of uh, Fowler as far mm-hmm. as just how awful of a human being mm-hmm. this person is. Um, he's a long-haul trucker from Houston, Texas, and he spent 15 years torturing and killing women in the cab of his truck as he traveled across the United States. So this is this is a huge, huge problem. I mean, it, for many, many reasons. But So this is like just a, a small fraction of what's happening, well, worldwide, of course, but also on the Highway of Tears. And you can take that, you know, you can extrapolate that to what's happening on highways across the United States and across all across Canada. The numbers are enormous. I think there's something like 1,200 missing or murdered Aboriginal women across uh, Canada from like I think it's like mid 1980 up until 2012 or something like that. It's a a big big number. Mm-hmm. Um, here we've accounted for you know with the FBI task force something like 600. Um, I think there's got there's got to be more than that. I'm yeah. sure that there are. But the problem you know these uh, these these long haul truck drivers like um, like Robert Ben Rose and there's another one. His name is Bruce Mendenhall who was an Illinois trucker. Um, he was uh, he I think he's finally busted after he murdered a it murdered a 25-year-old uh, truck stop prostitute in Tennessee, and police found a sack of bloody clothing in his truck cab. You know, at the time right. he had just committed this murder. Um, later, they found blood from five additional women in the same cab of that truck. So that means that you know that's six victims for him. Uh, Rhodes, I don't, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but um, you know, DNA evidence in his truck counted to you know led to many, many of these uh, victim missing victims. Um, it, it's it's a huge problem for law enforcement because it's like a mobile crime scene it's it, they're 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 comfortable in their cat in the cab of their truck that's their uh that's their their comfort zone their i guess layer. yeah exactly right. right and and i read somewhere uh, i think it was a guy named jack levin he's an author of a book called uh, mass murder america's growing menace way back in 1985 and it's it's basically not not the first but one of the first books about serial killers that uh that was widely published widely read and he, he kind of laid down some uh, groundwork or ground, not ground rules, but, um, definitions. Uh, maybe. Yeah, elements of what a highway yeah. killer might 
operate like or yeah. might be like. And he said that, you know, they tend to stick to established comfort zones. You know, mm-hmm. these, these, well, this is serial killers in general, but these guys, their comfort zone is the cab of their truck. Right. And I think that's what's happening on the Highway of Tears as well. But the comfort zone is right there, and they stop at a truck stop. They pick up a prostitute, you know, with the promise to take her to the next town as well. Sure. She gets in, and that's the last anybody ever sees of her. Or and just or just hitchhikers, because roads would pick up couples, immediately kill the male, and keep the female. Yeah, see, that, I mean, Jesus. devious, but it's it's awful what happens. But then they they drive them into another jurisdiction, you know, yep. which could be a hundred miles away, could be five hundred miles away, and dump the body, and then they. They see it as somebody that uh, is possibly just a transient because you know we have no um, we have no recognition of who this is. We don't have any kind of prints on file. Um, we don't know anything about this victim. So that's the problem: is that with such great distance between all these cases happening, uh, you know, well, the the, uh, the disappearance and then the actual you know the turning up of the body. It's it's really a difficult situation for them to solve, and e- even given systems like you know the the VICAP system mm-hmm. or Canadians' version of that, which is called the VICLASS system, which is a violent criminal, um, you know, system that uh, that uh, ties together people with DNA information and fingerprints sure. and photographs and uh, you know the last known whereabouts and all that. It's like a it's an electronic evidence matcher. Yes, exactly right, and that's been around since the 1980s. But mm-hmm. there's a there's a problem with even with that. So you can see all these hurdles that, that they're trying to uh, overcome here. And the problem with – the biggest problem with that VICAP system that I'm talking about, again, this is a violent criminal apprehension program. So you think that this would be something that is mandatory. It's not mandatory. You, for law enforcement. For law enforcement in a situation where there's a murder. Now, right. So – this goes back to the 1980s again. They're trying to find patterns of, you know, these complex, multi-jurisdictional murders. So you mm-hmm. think that, you know, this would be a, a super effective tool, and it, it can be. It can be very helpful. But the problem is you have to have enforcement officers that, that do the due diligence to put the information in and get the system to work the way that it should, Ooh, and then someone yeah. to analyze it and make sure that it's it, they're reading it correctly. Well, I, I, I see that, but I also think that, Part of part of the problem we should factor in isn't just manpower; it's ultimately expense. Yeah, because it's a sixteen-page form that they have to fill out. Now, how long do you think it takes a an officer to fill out a sixteen-page form with detailed investigation right. information, or you know, information about a particular homicide? And all, all all the um, not all the law enforcement agencies play nice together. No, exactly right, and that's that's the other frustrating thing is it's like you know butting your head against a wall because you can't get the other guys to talk to you when you need them to. And and not only that. There's things that they may know that they don't know as part of the, they don't understand as part of this case. And if they were ever to talk, and, and sometimes that's what happens, they accidentally stumble across some information that they say, "Wait a minute, that you just struck a nerve with me." Hang on a second. They go through their box of files and find right. uh, you know whatever it is, or you know probably electronic information. But um, it's these chance occurrences that sometimes lead to to solving these, but. If this if this system were to work the way that it should, I mean, it's a well laid out system, the VICAP system and the VICLASS mm-hmm. system in Canada, and other places have similar systems for violent criminals. But if they could just get it all to work together, if they could get somebody to analyze the information correctly, if they could, you know, it, there's a lot of ifs right. in this in the story. But if they could do that, they might make some headway on some of these cases. So here's the worst thing for me: you have to get caught first yep. one time for something in order to even be in that system, mm-hmm. right? True. So if you're like Bobby Fowler and you just haven't gotten caught for a long time, then you don't – it doesn't even well, matter. Well, he was repeatedly arrested. 
for well, yeah, other things. Sure, but unless but he was a, unless he was arrested for something that would specifically put him in that violent crime database, right? That's right. true. And what I was talking about, that 16-page form, is for particular characteristics of a homicide. Right. And so, you know, there's lesser there's lesser versions of that. So, like, you may input him in the system and say, this guy is an alcoholic who likes to fight at the local bar. Um, he got, you know, busted for breaking a bottle and stabbing somebody in the arm with it, you know. But, um, you know, I don't know what charge that would come with, but that's what he's in the system as, not necessarily as, hey, we caught this guy, he's suspected of, you know, being a serial killer. So I guess it really depends on just, you know, how much effort they put into correctly categorizing these people when they put them in the system. It's vital, however. I mean, um, and sorry to bust in. Uh, I don't want to interrupt what you guys are saying, but it's vital for this sort of stuff to be done. At last count, I think there was an investigation discovery piece on this. There are 25, 25 former long-haul truckers currently in prison for serial murder. Wow. twenty. Well, that's significant. That's a hell of a big number. That is a big number. Now, I, I know that you're saying 20 or 25, and we're, we're saying that's a that's a huge number because they're responsible for more than one just by nature of being right. serial killers. killers. Yeah, yeah and that, that's occurring over a period longer than a month. So multiple victims longer than a month. That means these guys are out there for a long time doing and, this. Who knows how many? And, of course, we are required to say, uh, of course, we're going to point this out. The vast majority of people in the world, let alone truckers, are honest, hardworking people who are just trying to get a buck. Uh, but we're talking about the, I, I think that it's, it's more fair to say that these people who are using the veneer of being a trucker are not actually truckers. They're killers. Yeah. Yeah, That's I, their primary. Vocation. And this is this is the way that they get to do what they do, right. and uh, and they find it. You know, if they were to eliminate that from their life, you know, the trucking part of their life, uh, they wouldn't be able to do this, and mm-hmm. uh, and they're never going to give that up. Uh, so, if one one last thing, I guess, that I need to add is that sure. you know, looking into all these numbers, and we said twenty five have been you know convicted of of being serial killers or that are known serial killers that. Um, the FBI has, has captured. They say that you know there's the numbers are just enormous. You know how many they believe are out there on the highways. Right now, I've seen numbers that range. Well, there's a huge range. Yeah. Some will say, you know, we we think that at any given point there's 67 serial killers working the, the highway systems mm-hmm. at any given time. Others may say 300 and everything in between. So it's a huge, huge number, and I don't think a lot of people really know that this is happening out on the highways. And it's not just the U.S., it's not just Canada, it's not sure. just Europe, it's all over the world. It's 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 happening. So use some caution, really. I mean, I, when I started reading about all this stuff, it just it, it really is an eye-opener. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Makes, it makes you fear for anybody traveling. Uh, you know, you want to be... Very diligent about you know checking in and knowing where they're going to be and when they're going to be there and it's it, it, it definitely distorts my memories now of running around you know sometimes truck stops sometimes rest stations along the highway system in the U.S. Sure, yeah, I used to sleep at rest stops in my car because I had the you know I had my day trip or road trip map mm-hmm. about how far I could go uh-huh. and I would arrange that by you know I would arrange that by where I could stop at a park or at a rest stop. And we haven't even talked about disappearances in national parks, which may be a podcast for another day. But the the truth of the matter, listeners, is that there exists more than one level of a culture. The U.S. 
the world that most of us know if we live here is more like the top layer of an onion. There are people who just travel from national park to national park. There are killers who just travel up and down I-40. And I know it sounds alarming, and it is. But unlike some alarmist things, this is terrifying because it is true. Uh, now, Matt, earlier off the air, you said that you had you had one more thing that we should end on. Is that correct? I did. I was going to... Wait, wait a second. Are you getting that, too? Is it just my headphones, or are you guys getting that? No, I, I hear it, too. Some sort of... L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind, like... How much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Almost like the sound of a truck rolling through the distance. But also drums. But also drums. Hey, everybody. Hi, Noel. Ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, super producer Noel Brown. Uh, That music always means, of course, it is time for our moment with Noel. Hey, man, how are you doing? Ben, Matt, Scott. You're making some serious eye contact with us as you were saying our names. This is creepy. I'm well. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, did did you catch what we were talking about? 
I'm, I'm going to have to be like really honest with you. This is a <laughs> one of the rare situations where I've actually been jumping up and down and going to the other studio and doing other things. Mm-hmm. So I actually have no idea what this episode was about. Well, hey. Well, okay. uh, you should check you it. Give us a clip. Check it out. I mean, well, I will. Uh, when I edit it, I'm sure. I'll, well, I'll, we I'll were, know. you know, we were talking. We started talking about a thing called the Highway of Tears. Got it. I'm not going to go too in depth in well, it. Well, let's just we, recap the whole thing. We let's just say. did a show on it. Yeah. Right. No. 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 Back See. in 1969. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, oh, you guys, I heard snatches here. We, I, I get that. I, yeah. Okay. I'm we had to. I mean, the case a little bit. You know, we had to ask Scott on uh, because this this is uh, something that is related both. Both to the automotive world sure. and to uh, the true crime world. And Scott's also kind of a stand-up guy. So, mm-hmm. you know? oh, yeah. Oh, shucks. Yeah, Same no, thanks. no, you're eight out of ten. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just had to. Okay, really fast, bring something up. And apropos of nothing, I have to say that every time I see the notes that Scott Benjamin takes and the way that he takes them and arranges them, every time I see it, I am thoroughly impressed. Not Mm -hmm. only that you function in that way, (laughs) but that there's so much detail going on here. There, There are, okay, so it's this yellow... Uh, I, I guess that's notebook paper. That's a legal pad. Yes, le- it's a legal pad, and then there are post-it notes all over it with like pointing to things to say, okay, this is where we go from here. This is how we get to here. I love it. It's uh, that's, yeah. that's you know uh, leftover from back in my days of like uh, floor directing, you know, for uh, for video shoots and things because you had to walk your way through a, a complex script or something that you know you don't shoot in order, mm-hmm. so you have to map all that stuff out ahead of time. And I find that's the way that I work best. So I, I just kind of carry it over into the podcast. Guess as well. No, uh, great. Thank you. No, I, I have to. Sometimes ask Sometimes I'll, I'll I'll see Scott just standing at huh? the window, writing on the window panes with a grease pencil. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> just red rum over and oh. over again. <laughs> uh, so I um I have to I have to ask though. Mm-hmm. No, um, yes. we talked about this. And this is a question for everybody. Uh, <clears throat> what? Like does does this affect your earlier conversation or the earlier conversations we've had about hitchhiking? This this whole idea of well this whole truth about the m- amount of serial murderers getting away scot free no offense on on the uh, on the interstates. I mean I didn't need anything to affect my outlook on you know picking up hitchhikers but sure yeah, you're pretty adamant about I'm pretty, it. Yeah, I, I think the, you know a little bit of healthy paranoia is probably good for the old self preservation game. I would say that's just me. Call me, you know, um, jaded, but. I'll get mad at you if you call me jaded. I've never You're once called you yeah, jaded. No, no, definitely not jaded. He's jaded a little bit, guys, but we all are. It's okay. I don't know. I would say optimistic. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but what about you, Sky? Definitely. Well, you know, I uh, I've already kind of, I was already kind of skittish about it, anyways. You know, um, should you should you not? But uh, the, the cases that we're talking about. It's always that the the bad guy is the one that's picking up the hitchhiker. Yeah, it's not the other way around. It's not that the hitchhiker is the bad person, and and those cases happen as well. They, where you pick up a, a bad dude on the sure. side of the road, and something horrible happens, you know, to either an individual or family or whatever. But yeah. this is like the opposite of that. So it kind of gives me like even more um, <laughs> just information yeah. in my head that's swimming around. Like this is just a bad deal. Don't don't pick up a hitchhiker. No, and in, don't hitchhike. In, in our earlier uh, car stuff podcast, which you can check out, listeners, if you're interested on in hearing more about hitchhiking, uh, in our earlier podcast on this, uh, we talked a little bit about the rise of hitchhiking being associated with counterculture in the '60s, right? Mm-hmm. And how uh, the I 
think it might have been the FBI, but government agencies propagated this idea that, uh, you know, stoned hippies were going to kill you because stoners are notoriously furious, <laughs> impulsive. They're also sex-hungry. <laughs> Go-getters. <laughs> right, yeah. And, uh, and so how much of that is fear culture and uh, how much of it is healthy skepticism? Now, of course, I... I also think you have to exercise judgment. Uh, my girlfriend, as I think I mentioned on car stuff, has banned me from picking up hitchhikers. Rightfully so. I just like strangers. Me too, but Ben, there are other ways. You can meet strangers all over the place, man. It's a hazardous activity. That's what he's saying. I mean, everybody's kind of a stranger. You don't really know someone, do you? <laughs> Wait. I've only, like, seen Scott a couple of times. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, like, but every day. Become the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's end before we start accusing each other of various murders. Uh, guys, I know this was a long podcast, but we hope that you, I don't know if enjoyed it is the right word, but we hope that you found it interesting. Can I Can I just say something? Yeah. I, I know that we say this every time on Car Stuff, but we, we try to put out so much information, so many little bits and pieces yeah. here. We we try to tie it together the best we can. You know, we're using these complex notes that Matt sure, told you about. Sure. But um, you'd be doing yourself a big favor if you were to search it and, and read about it yourself, because that way it just kind of makes a, a little more sense. It might be laid out mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that makes more sense to you. But yeah. hopefully, we got to the main points and, and at least open your eyes to a problem that's happening, and and maybe even just kind of give you that little bit of, uh, <laughs> I guess maybe a little bit of fear when you're out there on the highway that you know just. Be, be cautious. Be aware. Well, yeah. yeah and, and awareness. I think awareness is one of the biggest issues with these things. Just if if more people knew that it existed, I, I feel like it becomes a part of zeitgeist, and then we can actually put, you know, if enough people care about something, it will get the presence that it needs, The maybe even the funding that it needs. Sure. And right. I, didn't, I mean, fear, I shouldn't have said fear. Maybe aware, awareness. Awareness is sure. the much, is a much better way to say well, that. Well, there's... Okay, I feel like this is the most important point, and so I held on to this for a while. But uh, just to be just to be absolutely clear for everyone listening to this, whether you are involved in some way with the Highway of Tears or whether this is a story you've heard for the first time, uh, our collective hearts go out to the victims. There are more than eighteen, and a bureaucratic division does not change that fact. And uh, we hope that the law enforcement folks who are often outnumbered by problems uh, and beset by red tape, we hope that uh, they are they, their work pays off because these people are busting their humps, and um, it would it's time for these families to have closure, if at all possible. Well said, Ben. Agreed. So if you have any thoughts on the Highway of Tears or anything else that we've talked about in this podcast, you can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff at both of those. You can also find us on... There are all these places you can find us. We even have a SoundCloud account if you want to listen to the (laughs) Stuff They Don't Want You to Know theme song over and over and over. That's not real, is it? It's real. It's a real thing, a SoundCloud? Yeah, SoundCloud. Come on. (laughs) 
What? Uh, it's a cloud of sound. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it when Scott says stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> I know. I take a lot of ribbon around here for stuff like that, but uh, come on. SoundCloud, that's not, that's not a thing. Look, it, it was a great idea when it came out. It was a way to upload your music so people could stream it for free for indie artists, okay? Got to stand up for SoundCloud. One of my favorite uh, Scott right. Benjamin lines is the time where I think... I think he got a little bit irritated with one of our coworkers, uh, Allison. Well, not really irritated, but you were saying, you were saying, uh, she said, Scott, but you don't have any apps on your phone? And she said, what? An app? What am I going to do with an app? You, you show me an app that does something for me and I'll download it. Oh, nice. Yeah. How, how often do you tweet, by the way? <laughs> uh, ben takes care of the tweets. Uh, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Scott's got the Facebook. <laughs> well, well, look, if you send things, you can also send things to Car Stuff. Is it at Car Stuff HSW? HSW, yeah. And uh, on Twitter, and you can also find them on Facebook. That's where you're going to find Scott. Uh, any other places that they should look for you, Scott? Uh, our website, I guess, carstuffshow.com. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What's Is that uh, same deal with Stuff They Don't Know? You're going to find audio podcasts, mm-hmm. some videos. Yep. blogs, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. And, uh, of course, if you have uh, any topic that you would like us to check out in the future, please feel free to reach out to us directly. Our best ideas come from you. And if you have those ideas and you don't like the social media, kind of like Scott, you can send us an email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at conspiracy stuff. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.